so sorry. Could you just repeat that sentence? <laughs> yeah, the sleeping streams. Yeah, yeah. What what was this about? I just came in. Well, you, yeah, you, no. You do what? Yeah, there are streams where, like, the chick will sleep. Like, she'll just turn on the camera and take a nap, and thousands of people will tune in and just watch Show her sleep. Her money. And chat amongst themselves and occasionally, like, donate sums of money. Yeah. And and you watch this? No, I don't watch the sleeping streams. They're fucking boring because they're just sleeping. But I am aware of the... Th- I am aware of everything, but engage with almost none of it. Okay. I wonder if there, there, there are, uh, you know, VTubers doing sleeping streams. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be the that ultimate be, of it. Yeah, that would be the ultimate lazy. I, that that'd be great. <laughs> it's a three D model. They <laughs> check up there, and he just started playing an animation loop, and like that's like that's yeah. it. Right? Just take off the mocap and like. <laughs> I, and, like I go do something. Okay. Well, anyway, we yeah. are now recording because that felt like a great place to come in. Yo. <laughs> Arcade. <laughs> Congratulations on getting your audio setup working. Yeah, yeah it was a long a uphill battle, but uh, I feel very proud, especially since I've recorded through XSplit before, and I didn't change any of the settings, but somehow the settings changed, so technology is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, anyway, today we are going to be talking about our arcade memories, and... Uh, I want to apologize to all of you guys because it is half an hour after the planned start. That's how long it took me just sitting here listening to you guys talk all about good. all that. Uh, but it actually gave me a little bit of lead in to where I was going to take this because I wanted really quickly to just do another round of what we've been playing. And uh, God, Tim is again relitigating his experience with Steam, which I uh, always found interesting. Yeah, well, um, I guess since we didn't record it before, um, you know, I have worked as a game developer, although I'm not doing a lot of it lately. I still, you know, want to reserve the ability to do that in the future. And um, I had uh, bought Skyrim, and it required Steam in order to run it. And um, at some point in the process, you know, after I'd put 120 hours into Skyrim, they changed their EULA. Now, I actually read the EULAs, and the EULA basically said that we were going to... Uh, you know, all conflicts must be resolved by arbitration. Now, um, arbitration means that the rich guy always wins. Um, and, you know, they're the rich guy. And so I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm a developer, and I might work on products that get sold on Steam. And so if I've agreed to this thing, right, that it says that um, everything I do has to go to, ar- with, you know, regarding them, any, any legal problem go- has to go to arbitration, that will infect any work I do, any company I'd work for, like, then the Steam could say, oh, well, you know, you have a conflict? Well, this guy agreed to arbitration, so you, you all have agreed to arbitration. And, um, and then they could not pay them. And, or, you know, if I'd made my own product, they could not pay me. And so I'm like, I can't agree to this, Eula. This is, uh, this, this is, this is a bad thing. Um, and, but the thing is, Skyrim won't let you um, run unless you log into Steam, and you can't log into Steam unless you agree to the EULA, so suddenly I have a coaster. Even though I bought the game in a store, on disk, it won't run unless you log into Steam. won't run without an internet connection, won't run without Steam, and so I'm now out, you know, $60. Um, you know, I, I figure I'd, I'd reamed all the content out of uh, Skyrim at that point, you know, but still, I, 
you know, a little bit salty about that, you know, and I don't use Steam because, you know, well, I, I can't. It would, you know, impact my potential to make money in that industry. Huh. So um, I, I don't use it. So just because I don't know, you know, I, I have not met any other developers. Like, I'm, and, and you read the EULAs. Like, I'm, I'm guessing that other platforms are not as heavy-handed, or do you just kind of avoid all platforms, like, um, play well, games, well, like, without them? Well, what I do now, um, the thing with Steam was I actually signed up for it with my company account, where I actually, you know, used my, my you know, company name and ID and stuff on it. So yeah. now when I sign up for accounts, I do them all under an assumed name. Yeah. And I, don't, and, I, and I don't actually, like, you know, give them, you know... Uh, access to my credit cards and stuff like that. You know, I, I you know, use yeah. other means to pay, you know, to PayPal or something. But, um, but yeah, so I keep an, a, a, a degree of separation so it's not me, uh, you know, and, and, and that, that protects me. But, unfortunately, I've already given Steam my info, um, and I, I, can't really transfer uh, okay. the, I can't really transfer the game uh, without, you know, going and logging in, which means I'd have to agree to the ULA to log yeah. in the transfer. So, you yeah. You have to, like, start a new Steam library, essentially. You have to start a new Steam library and, and throw away Skyrim. And um, I just, you know, like I said, I feel kind of salty about it, so I just uh, I just don't use Steam. There are other choices. You, you know what you could try, and this is a stupid tip. <laughs> uh, but recently, like, I have been using Steam occasionally in an offline mode. Like, Steam has an offline mode, which seems to kick in, like, if you just run Steam with your internet, like, turned off. Hmm. And so, I, I haven't tried it myself, and I, but I, so, I don't know. But perhaps, if you are in, if you try running Steam offline, it'll say, oh, you have no internet, do you want to use offline mode? Before, it'll ask you for the EULA. You know what I mean? I don't know if the EULA is tied to being online, if you know what I mean, because... Yeah, well, I think, I think like, if you upgrade the client, and you do have to upgrade the client for it to work, um, then you'll have to agree to the EULA. That's kind of how they get you. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I only thought mm -hmm. of it because I know... I have hundreds of games on Steam, because I have a problem. But, yeah, I know that I can actually run all my games without being logged into Steam. Like, I can just find the EXE... Now, you know, I don't know if old Sky, ancient Skyrim is an exception, you know, if it's grandfathered in. But You can run it uh, in the offline mode. I was just actually looking at things up and trying to find out if that was possible. But again, you kind of have to log in and agree to the EULA. So, and really, yeah. do we want to go through all this trouble to play Skyrim at this point? Like, yeah, I'm, like I'm, if you... I'm playing the VR version and I play maybe 10 minutes at a time and I'm like, I'm playing fucking Skyrim still. Like, why? <laughs> But yeah. yeah, like I, I can I can play any Steam game just by running the EXE without even being online now. So maybe that would work. But, there was yeah. there was a a fix out on day one for Half Life Two where you could run it without Steam. It was a patch. It was a third party thing. Like they had it before the game officially launched because they would allow you to pre-install the game and people just kind of hacked it before yeah, the official yeah. release. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure there's a hack for Skyrim. I'm sure there was a hack for Skyrim when I had the problem. It's just that I, I'd already played it. 
All right, I was already I was already 120 bucks in. I'd done all the content in it. You know, I, I'd I'd gotten through it. So other than running mods, there wasn't really anything anything new to it. So I, I didn't bother to look it up and go any further. I just was like, okay, I'm I'm done with Steam. I, I can I can I yeah. can put this to bed now. Now that being said, um, I've just spent the last couple of months replaying Morrowind. Because um, wow. there's, there's the MW engine where they took and made an open source version of the engine, which actually runs on platforms other than Windows, although I use Windows. Um, but, uh, and so, um, now Morrowind, you know, is, is probably the most compelling Elder Scrolls game. It might not be the best art in the world, but it's so deep. Um, and it can be very tedious in certain ways, but uh, it's just got so much to it. And then they've got all the DLC, you know, all the expansions, they call them DLC now, but, you know, I actually bought them in a box. Um, and uh, so, you know, and I had, you know, it's a 20-year game, you know, you know, was it uh, 2002 is when it came out. So I, I've had a good time replaying it, and I'm now wringing every last drop of content out of it. I've maxed all my stats. <laughs> I've, you know, gone and done you know, the main quest, and now I'm working through all the other sects that I didn't do originally. And I've, I've almost finished Blood Moon, which I hadn't even, I bought Blood Moon before, and I barely even played it. And this time I actually went and finished it. I, got, I still have to go do Tribunal. But um, yeah, I'm really you know ringing the hell out of uh, uh, Morrowind. I, add, I added like just a couple of mods to make the faces look a little better because you know the old art didn't look that great. Because <laughs> they need it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, Bethesda faces are always just terrible, even to this day. Yeah. So that's like one of the only. You know, I added only a few mods to it. Just you know, fix the faces. You know, clean a little, few things up. But um, I wanted to play the game through. You know, with its proper, you know, difficulty and everything. But yeah, it's really easy for me now. Um, but yeah, it's just it's there's just so much lore and background to that game, and in some cases it gets very tedious. But um, you feel like you've really done something. I want to agree with everything you said about Morrowind, but I cannot go back and replay like a big game anymore. I can barely play the new ones. I'm inching through Horizon. Actually, if I if you want to describe what I am playing these days, it is like get on. Uh, GOG or anything for about an hour look at the sales whittle it down to about one or two items that I might like to buy and then realize I have such an incredible backlog that <laughs> there's no chance in hell I'm even going to spend five dollars on a game I might play in three years and then play about five minutes of Horizon New Dawn well, I guess I don't understand how why anybody pays for software anymore because Epic gives away free games like every week or so and you know I mean they gave away Civilization Six and Grand Theft Auto Five, you know. So it's like, why would you ever give money to a game? The only games I paid for were because other friends of mine were playing them online, and it was a good way to interact with people in the middle of the pandemic. Well, my, so I bought you know, Stardew Valley and Among Us. Yeah, but well, than that, my answer the Epic uh, free game. My answer to the Epic free game thing is that I missed both Civ 6 and Grand Theft Auto 5. I've got a few good ones off of them that I'm playing like Elite Dangerous, but uh, yeah, I wish I'd caught Civilization 6. Yeah, they had freaking uh, Remnant from the Ashes on there, which surprised me because that's a full-ass AAA title. Mm. But yeah, some of them are Cool. Yeah, no, but, they, yeah they just released nine games for free on PlayStation. Hey. Yeah, it's it's part of their uh, Play at Home pandemic program. They released Ratchet and Clank for free last month, and it's like, oh, okay, there's going to be a bonus game each month. Then all of a sudden, I log on yesterday, nine damn games. Well. Yeah. 
Oh right, yeah, so we're gonna who's... get the tank game. Uh, what in a couple of weeks? Which one, sir? The Horizon Zero Dawn. What about the it? complete edition? We didn't get that one with this release. I don't think it comes. That one they're gonna give out like what? A couple of weeks? In the uh, middle of April? I don't know. I'm playing it uh, the complete edition on PS Now. All right. Well, who who is? Should I be next? Yeah, sure. Go what, for it. What are we playing just to keep it moving? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I have actually been trying to get to my backlog instead of just playing the Infinite Games. You know, things like uh, Genshin Impact, which I have been playing the shit out of. But yeah, to keep it brief, I've been playing uh, Genshin Impact. I have been playing Trials of Mana, which is the remake of Saiken Densetsu 3, a.k.a. Secret of Mana 2. <clears throat> uh, I've been playing one of the most fascinating games I've ever seen called Noita. And that one's cool because that is a roguelike. It's a 2D roguelike, but its claim to fame is... Every pixel is simulated, so if you have a pool of water, it will count all the pixels in there. And if you evaporate the water, every water pixel will be a steam pixel, and then eventually reform back down to water and fall down again. So mm. it's a super physics-y roguelike. It's really fun. Uh, what's that called? Uh, Noita. N-O-I-T-A. And uh, it's a finish for something. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting at... I, pl I can't stop playing Overwatch all the time. <laughs> and I'm actually replaying Undertale because I'm playing it for a friend who is who lacks the hand-eye coordination to actually like play the game and beat the whole thing. So. Mm. And, I the, mean, the girlfriend experience is what we call that in the gaming world. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, it's not for the girlfriend. It's for some other friend girl who is a friend of the girlfriend. But, but is yeah. that cheating? Maybe <laughs> 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 to, to a gamer. Oh, yeah, yeah. To to as somebody who has. You know, been a forever alone gamer for the majority of his life. Uh, I can say yes, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So and I mean, Undertale. There you go. Like anyone who hasn't played Undertale, you like are objectively worse off uh, than people who have. So get on that. Okay. Okay. And I'm looking. That. I'm looking at Noida. It looks like a uh, Metroidvania type of. Uh... Yeah, that's the setup. It's a 2D platformer with a nondescript goal. There is a way to beat the game. However, it's mainly about exploration and finding secrets that the devs have stuck everywhere and are really obscure. It's kind of like... It's kind of like a experience where... In, in older games, like in like NES titles, things like that, there would be quote-unquote secrets in the game that you essentially couldn't find unless you knew they were there, right? Like, go to 
a certain block and jump three times and uh, mm. enter a button combination. <laughs> like, the, they're not that well hidden, but the secrets are very well hidden, reminiscent of older games. And so you just explore this wonderful physics-based world dying a lot because every, every pixel is simulated, mm. so every pixel can potentially kill you. Uh, because those three orange pixels, you were like, what is that? Turns out they were lava. <laughs> and you're dead. But, uh, yeah, you, you just explore, and you find a thing, and it's... It is it is pure discovery, and it's a lot oh, of physics, it's... and I highly recommend it. It's by the guy who made the Swapper. I know that game. Indeed. Yeah. Most of us from South Florida know about swapping. <laughs> But um, I forgot. Uh, quality comedy here, folks. These jokes are fresh. Alex. All right, and that's me. Last, last one. All right. Well, I am. I am trying to. Well, other than wasting a lot of time doing what is it? A fucking Black Ops Cold War. I'm oh, okay. trying to finish story mode in. Red Dead Redemption. Still grinding away at fucking Monster Hunter. And oh, I'm slowly man. going through the Capcom's classic collection remix on PSP. Okay, so that's if you want you someone to play month. Monster Hunter with you, let me know. Because I have 1,400 hours in Monster Hunter World and I only stopped because everyone else I know finally stopped playing with me. Well, is is that crossplay? Because I know your PC and Alex's. PC it is cross crossplay. Okay, yeah. I, I have you guys confirmed. Are good. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Oh, Sorry. Shit. Okay. Did not mean to mess with you there. No, 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 no. We made a love match. It's good. Yeah. So hit me up sometime. Hit me up, BB. So but, pretty much but what you were doing the last time, Alex, except with the exception of the uh, Capcom classics. Uh, well, is that a PS4 release now? Because I remember those on the PSP. Um, supposedly they released, like, one of those titles on the PS4, and they called it the Arcade Collection. Right, well, what are you playing it on? The PSP. Playing oh. the PSP version. Okay, wow. We have a confirmed PSP user in the wild. Oh, man. Nice. I thought, I thought that died. I thought it was only the stuff of myth. I thought, it, yeah, it would have been at this point like George Lucas hunting down every single person who still has the original VHS of unedited Star Wars and, like, murdering them. Yeah. That's cool, though. That makes you a, a unique unique treasure. Yes. You are an individual snowflake. You are special. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I know I do three times a day, and I apologize. <laughs> I love that little machine. Uh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Tim, what about your what about your Vita? Are you still using that? It's been sitting on my desk. I used it a little bit when I first got it to check things out, and then I never touched it again. Um, you know, it's uh, it was already dead by the time I bought it. Yeah. Um, you know, the U.S. companies weren't releasing games. They were releasing new games for it, but they only be like you know Japanese imports and nothing I really wanted. Um, I could have messed around in the online store a little more on it, but. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I got it so that I could see if it was an adequate platform to make a new version of Rhythm Core on, and um, 
I realized it was dead, and then I didn't really look at it much after that. Well, okay, so we might just talk about this little uh, rumor before we move on to the main topic, but uh, it might be really, really dead here next month because there is a rumor going around that they are shutting down the PS3 and PS Vita stores. Oh, no. Yeah, and they they um, disenfranchise those from console and PS4, or not, sorry, not console, PC and PS4. You can't purchase games for those consoles um, on the PlayStation Store for the PC or the PS4. you got to be on your PS3 or your Vita. So now they might be shutting those down entirely. None of that is coming from any confirmed source. It was like some website I'd never heard of saying that... Uh, it was an anonymous source, and then it was kind of rebroadcast by uh, amplified by Polygon. So we don't know if that's yeah. true. Well, this is an issue that's sort of near and dear to my heart. You know, I didn't really do a lot on the PSP and Vita, but um, I did, you know, do pro programs on the Nintendo DSi, and fortunately, through backwards compatibility, they're available on the 3DS. But um, I tried to figure out how to get my cartridges manufactured, but I just could not afford to do it. Nintendo had a bunch of terrible requirements for it, and it was very expensive, and um, yeah, I couldn't. So the only way to get my product, the only way to get Rhythm Core 1 and 2 is on the 3DS right now. They already shut down the DSi store. Mm. And so when they shut down the 3DS store, my product is gone forever. Nobody will ever be able to get it again, unless they like, make some sort of backwards compatibility with a Switch with the DSi, which I doubt. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically screwed. So, um, yeah, and, and I really object to this idea that, you know, software exists only in the cloud and then it disappears forever. I feel like I did good work um, and that my work should be available, you know, forever. Even, you know, you know and with the older systems, you had a cartridge and, you know, those, would, you know, those, those are bulletproof. Those last forever. That's a mask problem, right? Yeah. But as we've moved into yeah. things being only online or being on, you know, um, even CDs rot, uh, but... Um, you know, they've gotten more and more ephemeral to the point where, you know, unless somebody managed to archive it somewhere, somehow, um, you know, it's gone forever. And that's that's really sad to me as a developer to think that my uh, work is just going to disappear. Um, and so, consequently, what I'm doing for my latest stuff is I'm trying to make hardware. Because I'm like, well, it, it, unless people throw the thing away, it will still work. Yeah, yeah. And I can I can still make it right. I can still I can still continue to make this hardware and sell it to people. And Nintendo can't stop me from doing that. So um, so yeah. But no, I, I, that's I think that's a real uh, crisis. I was actually working on this thing where we're trying to get together a retro gaming system, a retro game computer. A bunch of people who are kind of refugees from the eight bit guy's effort to make his Commodore X sixteen thing. And um, you know they eventually went off and decided to go and make a thing more like the Mister you know emulation FPGA arcade emulation box. But I was trying to make a box that is like, okay, it's, it's like an old computer, it's got a keyboard in it, and it takes cartridges. Not USB sticks, right, not, you know, any of that stuff, it takes cartridges, and that's how you sell media. And the idea was to put the value back in the software, right? So when you buy a piece of software, you're buying a thing, and you can give that thing to other people, you can sell that thing, it's your thing, and it's a thing which is immutable. It doesn't require you to get online to update it, it doesn't require, you know, once you, you, once you have that cartridge, it's done. Just like it was back in the day, right? Because I feel like software that is only available online is only available as a download. It's basically worthless. It's intangible. It, it disappears. It's it's not you, know, you you don't actually have anything. You can't give it to anybody else. You can't sell it to anybody else. You've got nothing. And so, um, well, so yeah. So I was really trying to get back to that. But like I said, the other guys kind of wandered off. So I think um, that's probably dead in the water. 
I think part of the interesting legacy of that is that um, what a lot of people don't know or don't really keep in their conscience is that so much of downloadable software isn't owned by you, it is leased by you. And this is something that software companies have actually tried to do since the 80s with the EULAs saying that... Um, you know, it is a limited uh, limited use license that when you buy physical media, you can only make one copy of it for your own backup purposes, et cetera, et cetera. They really try to kind of give you a shrink wrap license, which I think legally never held up. But once they moved to downloadable software, that's when that fantasy became a reality for publishers. Well, I think, um, you know, they since even before home computers were a thing, um, you know, that licensing was uh, very, very much apparent. However, with consoles, when you got to, you know, cartridges and media like that, um, it, you know, it kind of did sort of make software into an object that you could own. Um, and, and, you know, even though the PC software theoretically had this license, you still, you had floppy disks, you had CDs, right? You, you still owned a thing. You could still give it to somebody else who would still work, even, you know, if they tried to say that it wouldn't um, or you're not, not supposed to. But um, but like I said, now you know they've they've got it locked down. It only exists on the net. When they turn that net off, you're dead. So you know that's 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 the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and that. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No. I was just gonna say that is why, even now, right? Because like, I I own ninety nine point nine nine percent of my games digitally, but like I don't have physical media. But I make sure that. When I'm using a platform, if I buy a game, I, you know, get, I download the executable and it's on my computer. And if I can run the game without being signed into the service, then that's, you know, that's, that's good enough for me because I'm like, I, I can run this game without being logged in. I can therefore take this game, put it on whatever I want to make copies you know it's it's funny that you're saying this because you're resisting like looking at gog more and that's kind of their entire model is that it's well, no, free I, and you can just download a copy of it yeah it's it's not because yeah i i don't use gog i it, the only reason i don't use gog is out of laziness like i have i have a ton of libraries which i'm satisfied with and i'm like <laughs> do I want to download another client when I have and you don't have to by the games way. in the backlog like yeah. their client is completely optional once you buy a game on there you can actually just download the file and run the installer like we used to do back in the 60s <laughs> yeah no I'm 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 not at, I, I I'm not opposed to GOG at all I just like yeah I have so many games that I'm like it's like it's like adding one more gold coin into Scrooge McDuck's like vault. Okay. The... <laughs> which but, which yeah. is a bad example because I don't think Scrooge McDuck would have a problem with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, yeah. I I so I feel I I absolutely do worry about like things where you can only play the software when you have an account. Or like, you know, as long as you pay your monthly subscription or whatever are bad and they destroy the, yeah, they do make software ephemeral, but services, you know, that I use, like all the libraries I currently use, you have, you have the files. And if you have the file, if you can make copies of your software, like it's yours forever. And if you can run it without being logged in, then yeah. 
so more of that and less of the other less less of the you have to be logged in like i think i think going digital is perfectly fine if you download software and not like lease it like you were saying man anybody else got anything to add all right okay let's get arcades yes on to the actual topic at hand our arcade memories um god i I was yeah come on jump should should we go in order of it might be kind of fun and you know shoot it down if you want but i thought it'd be kind of fun to go in chronologically so whoever like the oldest right we can we can know about the arcades of i thought i thought that would be good i also thought it might be interesting to roll it back the opposite way we to, do to go with what people are most familiar with if they actually happen to stumble upon this show and then slowly okay. go back and back and back. Like, what do you guys think? I think going backwards is good because that gives me the opportunity to one-up everybody. It's like, oh, you remember that? Well, I remember when. <laughs> okay. Well, who's the youngest? Okay. Uh, that's either you or Alex. All right. Well, I'm freaking an 83-borner. Alex? 86. Okay, Alex goes oh. first. All right, uh, we're talking about our earliest memories of arcades, or start just... anywhere you like. What, yeah. like, what's your impressions? Oh. Like, what's what's a good memory for you? Let's hear it. Oh, How old memory. were you, and what made an impression? The earliest I remember, I want to say maybe. The small arcades that they used to have, or well, other than the small like two machines that they used to have at the burger joint, right? That I used to frequent when I was a kid. I think we all knew those, but I'm talking about an <laughs> yeah. arcade, man. Yeah, I, I hit up the oh. I hit up the laundromat uh, arcade machines. Yeah, I like, still do. <laughs> like, was Pac-Man still a fixture in an arcade when you were? starting to go to them no no okay okay like we're talking about like uh we're not talking about little burger shops but like i remember like chuck e cheese used to have fucking actual arcade games Mm -hmm. i remember those i remember going down to fud records and they had like eight machines there like uh, what was it Two Simpsons, one X Men, and uh, Street Fighter. Mm, yeah, yeah. I remember Fuddruckers had the only. Uh, here's the weird thing: like I started living in Tampa around age seven, and I have this encyclopedic knowledge of like where every single arcade game was. For some reason, I have very firm memories of which arcade had which arcade games. And I'll always remember that the Fuddruckers uh, down like kind of mid-North Tampa was one of the only places I ever saw that Pac-Man, I think it was Pac-Man Junior arcade game, where it was both a Pac-Man game, a shitty Pac-Man game, and uh, a pinball table all built into one. Odd. Yeah. Pac-Man plus pinball? Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was called. I think it was like Pac-Man Junior or Baby Pac-Man. It's one of those. Okay, but it was it was a video game 
plus pinball? Like, was it the pinball? Yeah, you would play the arcade game, and then you would go down one of the bottom chutes. Like, you normally had the kind of uh, wraparound tunnels on the sides. This one would have them on the bottom, if I remember, and when you went down there, all of a sudden you were playing the pinball table below it. Oh, okay. I think... I think... Tell me if I'm wrong. I think I've seen, like, one example of what you're talking about, but essentially, like, you're playing the Vigima game, and then when you do something in the game, it prompts you to, like, move over and perform pinball-like analog actions. You know, yeah, like on a something like machine. that. Yeah. Except, except the screen yeah. is above the pinball table, not next to it. Yeah. yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've played Baby Pac-Man, which is what you're talking about. Okay. Um, you can when they have arcade expo again, they have it there. Um, you can you can play it. Um, there's also another game which is very similar called Granny and the Gators, which is kind of you know another. It had different. It wasn't Pac-Man on top, but it was a different lame game. And then you then you went down and played pinball. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah. So Alex. Well, um, God, other than the Montebello Mall having the, their arcade. I had that there forever. I think they finally got rid of the arcade in that mall. I want to say 2016, 2015, 2016. Yeah, I remember going to that when I was younger. Hmm. It was like, what? Like right next to the fucking Burger King that was in there. I remember early days when they had... It's like what? Practically several Street Fighters, a King, several King of Fighters. So you're strictly uh, kind of coming to your own in the age where fighting games are already dominating arcades, and it's kind of like a few years yeah. before they start becoming these sad redemption-only places or that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's like. Towards my what, like my high school, my junior high, high school years, I started seeing a lot more of those, uh, like those Namco Gun Con games. Mm-hmm. Is it Namco? Or... You talking about like a uh, time, time crisis, crisis or uh, freaking House, House of the, of the Dead. Dead? There you go. Yeah. Jinx, you owe me a coke. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Did, like, tell me. Tell, wait. Hold on. You said House of the Dead, right? And I have. Yeah. I've played that. Then one of my fondest memories, not to cut in on you here, is. Uh, tell me if you did this. So you, the House of the Dead, like cabinets were two players, like every other cabinet. So, a second player could uh, join you and pick up the gun and play with you. But what I found was the most fun, was. Because all you were doing was shooting like a light zapper, like an NES-style light zapper, and there were no other controls for your hands to do, I would put money in both slots and dual-wield the guns. Mm. And it, I, it, I, I felt like the hugest badass on the planet, <laughs> like dual-pistoling zombies in the face. Does, did did uh, you ever do this? No. It was like, what? I think it was like fifty cents or maybe seventy-five cents for per play. I was like, Fuck. which is a That's lot too much when money. You're a kid. To... Yeah. yeah, for me it was just a quarter. I got lucky. Like at the arcade, I played that one at. Yeah, I remember having I remember... so little money that I was afraid to play a lot of the more intimidating games, which tells you a lot about the kind of kid I was. 
<laughs> no, you yeah, budgeting your quarters was yeah. a hard core endeavor when when you're a, a child in the arcade. I loved watching people play Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, but I never played those until I had a 3DO. Wait, Space Ace is that the Yeah, Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, that's the one where it's a uh, same anime. same game. It's like Yeah. Yeah, animated and you just sort of push the direction at the right time to do a thing. Yeah, yeah, you make yeah, a cartoon okay. go forward. Those were so cool. But yeah, like it's like a they were cool to watch other people play. They weren't actually that cool to play them. Yeah, yeah. When I had the 3DO, I started playing them, and I'm like, oh, God, this is just memorizing a pattern and timing. Yeah, and, it and, kind of is. And I, I kind of got into that with uh, some of the American Laser games because there actually was some like Twitch reflex stuff involved, and they would randomize the patterns. That was a light gun version of that where you would watch footage of like an Old West or a cheesy sci-fi movie and then shoot things. But uh, I remember, I, I remember, you know, when I had to work on uh, the James Bond game on uh, um, Xbox and uh, PS2, and they wanted a quick time event. Said that's what they're calling it by them. It's like this is just fucking Dragon's Lair, man. Like, don't make me do this shit. Hmm. Uh, shit. Uh, Tim, did you ever have that memory of budgeting quarters? So, um, so I lived in. Uh, Later, I, I, you know, not my earliest experience, but later in my life, I lived in Columbia, Maryland. When I was a, you know, kind of tween, I lived in Columbia, Maryland. And we had a shopping mall. And a shopping mall um, ostensibly opened at, um, you know, 10 a.m. But um, you could get there early and the doors were open. And so what I would do is I'd go fish money out of the fountain. Oh, legit. And then, uh, you know, and and then, you know, uh, like sometime around 10 o'clock in the morning, the little bakery would open. I'd, you know, go and having dried off my my quarters, I figured out you wanted to pull the quarters out. You don't want to mess with pennies and dimes and shit. You just want to get quarters. (laughs) Um, You'll go to the bathroom, you dry that shit off, you go take that over, buy yourself a $1 tart, you know, a very nice fruit tart there, and then you can go to the arcade and, you know, spend the rest of your quarters on uh, on games. So um, as long as you got there early, like, they wouldn't fuck with you. Um, and I never got caught doing that, so, you know, um, I didn't do it too much, but, uh, but there was one summer I lived across the street from the mall, and, uh, yeah, that was my, 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 my guilty thing was, you know, to go and, and steal quarters from the fountain and play games with them. I'm gonna sidetrack just a bit, because that is kind of amazing. I felt that my parents conditioned me so thoroughly that they would beat the shit out of me if they ever caught me doing something like that. Um... But I always felt that a rite of passage, and I hate doing this old fart shit where it's like, God damn, you guys should still do this. Um, But there's one thing where I actually feel like that, and that is sneaking into movies. I think that's lost. I think that is character building. I I loved sneaking into movies. I think think that that is character building. I think it's just like a great thing to do. And I remember that the first one I ever did was RoboCop. So, you know, worth it. (laughs) But I'm wondering yeah, if, man. now I'm wondering if people fish around in fountains all that much either. I don't think they have fountains anymore. I think I got rid of all that shit, right? Somewhat. <sighs> they, they still exist. Like, uh, you know, I, I've seen coins in the um, that little waterway. It's not quite a fountain up at the Universal City Walk below the Carl Strauss Brewery. Um, but, I mean, that's a completely different discussion. But, yeah, they do kind of – they are kind of getting rid of public spaces that uh, allow you to really kind of sit around and socialize without purchasing $50 worth of food. So that's, yeah. 
Now they they want all that space for those bloody carts now, right? They have the carts in the middle of the mall where they have you know they've they've rented out all that space to kiosks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so so yeah, the, car, the all the fountains have disappeared for the most part. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't try to do that shit at Universal City because they have they have guards there. You know they're serious. You know so. Um, <laughs> Tim has experience with these guards. I can tell. Um. Anyway. Why don't uh, so Alex? Do you have anything else to add to your own experience? Like anything notable before we move up to uh, Evan? Mm, all right. Um, I remember going down Capcom's Nickel, the Capcom Capcom's Nickel Arcade. I think that's what they were called. I got no. I think idea you paid like is. three bucks I, to I get in, and everything was a uh, fucking nickel to play, mm. except. Uh, what was it? Um, I think Project Justice arcade machine was an actual quarter to put in, but everything else was an echo other than a handful of free games, which were, what, the X-Men game? <laughs> like, I'm immediately in my head trying to work out how many games I'd have to play to make that efficient. Because three-buck cover charge at your regular uh, arcade is 12 games if you're paying a quarter a game. So, you you know, if you if you took that three bucks to a normal arcade, you get 12 games. So to take it to a nickel one, you waste that to get in, and then but then you'd get five games per quarter being the comparison. So, interesting like (laughs) you could theoretically yeah like you could if you had another dollar right after that then instead of four games that's fucking 20 games that might be worth if you play enough games like Mm. if if, if you're going there for like an all-day thing that'd absolutely be worth i think yeah i've done that i I have never heard of those um Capcom no longer has them. I kind of figured, um, yeah. It was, um, God, the last one I remember, well, there, there were actually two. One was in Uptown Weedier, near the mall. The other one was in, like, that weird borderline of Gardena. Yeah, Gardena in uh, Buena Park. Uh, yeah. They changed the name to the Something Nickel Arcade, but they closed down and they moved to, um, if I remember correctly, Torrance. Mm. That's where their new spot is. They don't seem to have an address, but all I'm finding is a place called Nickel City Games, and I don't recognize the... uh, the zip code for the number. So I'm going to think that's something Yeah, I different. think that may be it. No, this is in Illinois. Oh. Yeah. Oh. My sister may remember where it is. Uh, probably. But, but man, like, I... If, if when I was a youngin, you know, my parents had dropped me off at a place, it covered the three-buck, like, cover charge for me, and then I was released into an arcade where every, you know, coin, like every every coin was suddenly five coins. I'd probably, like, lose my mind. 
<laughs> I would just be, it would be, it'd be like releasing the child into the chocolate factory. <laughs> like that sounds really cool. Yeah, it really was. All right, so I guess moving on at this point, unless again, Alex. No, the only other things I could talk about is what the Japan Arcade and that arcade gonna... I took you down to, like what Broadway. Yeah, we're that we're gonna get around to those. We will get around to those. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. All right. all right, let's toss to Evan. I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna get there, yeah. but uh, hey, so <clears throat> so as I was discussing, like pre recording start my my first first encounter with a cabinet was at was with what i've been informed are uh cocktail tables <laughs> i there was a pizza place in my neighborhood do not remember the name it's dead forever but they had cocktail tables of Pac-Man, which is essentially like the table you eat on has a clear top, and the the, the fucking CRT monitor. Whatever yeah, I think in everybody table. everybody knows what you're talking about. It's it's yeah. usually a double sided arcade cabinet. You sit down on either side. You play the game from a top down perspective. There's usually a splash guard over the pr- controllers, and yeah. uh, the, the display flips over when it's the second player's turn. Yeah, it was super cool. It was it was amazing to play video games while waiting for pizza and like, you know, you you lose when the pizza arrives, but that's totally fine. But um, proper arcade, I didn't actually get to a proper arcade despite despite playing games since I was five years old. Uh, the first one being the original Mario Brothers on the NES. And I've always loved games, but I didn't get to a proper arcade until, like, late 80s, early 90s, where I found a hole-in-the-wall arcade. And a lot of my arcade experience was centered around the city of Glendale. Uh, but there was there was a little hole-in-the-wall which had a really cool range of... Uh, chronologies as it were right because it had old it had older stuff like bubble bobble and uh that was at skate odyssey in tampa ah (laughs) they yeah they had they had stuff around like they had bubble bobble they had um uh galaga like you know space invaders like things like that but then it sort of went all the way it, it went to whatever was new because the arcades got to have the new shit so at that time the new shit was like marvel vs capcom 2 and soul caliber 2 uh and so i spent a lot of time there playing the whole gamut because it was really interesting to just play all of these they had such a variety that i would spend way too much money there like i'd be on bubble bobble i'd be on galaga but then i'd get on Raiden, you know things like Raiden and uh what is like that ninja turtles arcade game oh yeah and uh and i played the whole thing however a big also a big part of my personal arcade experience was uh ddr 
and that was about the time that i stopped going to arcades like i I remember that being a thing but it was like "Eh, okay that's it's (laughs) okay for the kids i was still pretty uh, young but but yeah like i i loved ddr and i would i loved it to the point where i would go to places that just like had ddr machines um and so I would go to the Eagle Rock Mall pretty much exclusively just to play DDR there because it was closer mm-hmm. to me than Glendale. Um, that is also where I learned the joys of paying for both sides of the House of the Dead machine. <laughs> uh, so, so fun. Like, if anyone can find one anywhere do it like you'll 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 truly live well uh that actually reminded me of something i did in the opposite direction which was uh did anybody else ever play lucky and wild which sounds like a porno but it isn't wait a minute yeah um, okay yeah they had it at the uh at the, at the arcade in uh, redondo um in, yeah i think they're finally gone but they even even very recently they had that mm. is this a game where you like had a light zapper, but also like characters on the screen were hiding behind cover and stuff. No, no, no. It was a driving okay. game with light guns. Player one would drive and use a gun, and then player two just had a gun. Um, oh, killer! But yeah, oh, it was really cool, actually. But uh, what dope. my friends and I did is uh, we loaded up on this car, and um, uh, I just drove, and then we had two guys just like crammed in next to me both using the guns so we turned it into yes. a three-player game <laughs> amazing <laughs> and it wasn't like it was any better that way except for the social aspect of like three idiots screaming yeah. e- except for that stupid uh fun you yeah. know it wasn't the <laughs> yeah yeah kind of the meta game of it yeah <laughs> that reminds me that crazy taxi was outstanding in the arcade mm. Uh, I loved that. You're naming so many things that are coming out around the time that I stopped going to arcades so that I was aware that they existed, but it was like, oh, I got this on the Dreamcast. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw one of those physically. Boom. Okay, speaking of Dreamcast, everything on a Dreamcast, I loved it in the arcade. Uh, 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 Crazy Taxi, yes. Uh, Virtual On, the coolest. You controlled it. They had two, like, flight sticks, and you felt just like a mecha pilot in, in, in your Japanese animes. <laughs> and um, Power Stone, some of the most hectic fun ever. Well, it was uh, Capcom, I think, though. Yeah, yeah but Power Stone was on the Dreamcast as well. Yeah. Yeah, and so that... I still... Like, the only game that rivals Power Stone for me in pure fun factor is something like Smash Brothers, mm. where it's just crazy, like, smashing random people in the face action. Um, so, but yeah, like, I did, I did spend, so to sum it up, I guess my arcade experience was uh, spent... I, I, I was kind of lucky because I could equally play, I could equally mess with like Galaga, as I could with 
Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Yeah, it or, sounds what was like that? you were solidly a 90s child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I got, I, I feel like I got a really broad spectrum of old and new, and it was great. Uh, the the best arcade, before all the arcades died, right? The best arcade I had ever been in was a one called uh, Arcade Infinity. I've, uh, I've in, heard this place referred to. I've been it, there. They They had... They didn't have the old stuff. They didn't have the classic, more classic stuff that my Hole in the Wall one had. But it was the kind of arcade where they had all the new stuff. Uh, they had, like, every single stupid DDR and DDR clone ever. So I was like, that was a whole night for me. And it was, it was, the, it was that great kind of just loud, neon, flashy, like real they had a real 80s arcade aesthetic if that makes sense like mm -hmm. well no not even 80s it was like it was like they styled it after the arcade that you see if anyone's seen the original tron uh when <laughs> it was it was kind of like the hotspot neon paradise like really loud party zone type of arcade and mm. It's it's the kind where you'd you'd after you came out, somebody would say something to you, and your response was, "What?" <laughs> because you 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 had attained the perfect amount of ear damage. Um, but yeah, yeah now just... now I'm very sad. Like, I hit there was a nice arcade in Little Tokyo. I hit up, and they had some games you normally couldn't get in in you know on the west in the west but uh yeah i'm really sad now my overall impression is i'm super sad because i loved the experience of going to arcades i liked playing the classics i liked playing the new stuff it was super social super fun and yeah now now they're kind of dead and the only ones you get are like dave and busters which i wouldn't wish on my worst enemies and uh the barcades <laughs> yeah, like the really big ones, like uh, round. I think round one is like the only. Giant one is pretty good. I think it's the only one I, th I I know that's still alive. But I feel like they're slowly turning into like just big Dave and Buster's uh, over time. I'm not sure though. I haven't been in one in a while. What with pandemicy stuff happening. Without getting into the story just now you can do it later if you want to tim do have we outlived the uh barcade that basically became your enemy um i, I don't i think they're still around i don't i mean i don't know about you know with the pandemic and all but um you know they they seem to you know still be uh 82 still seems to be there and, um, you know, I, I really liked them a lot. It's just, um, you know, they didn't pay us. You know, we did a show there, and uh, they didn't pay us, and they were kind of shitty about it when I pushed the issue. So um, I, was, I was there when the owner finally pushed, uh, pushed you out. And I remember he just turned to me because I was standing there and demanded to know who I was. And I'm like, who is this prick? Yeah, no, it was a prick. And, and the bouncers were really cool. Like, I'm not used to cool bouncers, but those bouncers were awesome. Yeah, the staff at 82, they were they were all fine. Just, you know, Noah's being a prick about the thing, and, uh, you know, he kind of was generally a prick, but, you know. But, hey, we managed to get one good show out of it, and I, 
I'd love that place, you know, just to, well, you know, they didn't pay us and they were kind of dicks about it, so I don't go back. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be a real shame if somebody liquidated the owner and took over, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, talked, I talked to the other guy who was kind of... <laughs> I talked to the other guy. There's more money guy there, and and he, you know, kind of stood behind Noah. So I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah. yeah well, but uh, let me let me close out my segment here yeah. with one kind of heartwarming story. Uh, like, because this is a vivid memory I have about arcades, and I I gave more of an overview than actual memories. But That's there was fine. this one time that I I really remember. It was super cool. Was I was in my little hole in the wall arcade, and these I was the only one in there because I would like stay out until like two or three in the morning like a rebellious youth and uh, and the, and the, and this was a this was really cool because it was a, it would stay open all night on uh, the weekends uh, actually no not just the weekends all the time but anyway either way I was the only one in this place at like 2.30 or something. And these two, like, old dudes came in. And they were... I, I don't know how old, right? But they they were the type who would say, like, back in my day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they came in and just watched me. I was playing... Um, oh, this is not how good stories start. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great one i was i was playing uh space invaders i think and these two dudes came in and they were looking around and they came started watching me play and they just struck up a conversation and they went oh you know i i uh i used to play these like these were super you know they're like i i recognize this one and 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 like one other one over here and i was like oh so you know these are pretty old right and i looking back that was probably super scummy to say but i was like oh yeah these are pretty old i guess and they're like yeah like i played them a long time ago and this cool thing happened where the the these two dudes would point to a cabinet and go like oh hey i remember this game like you know uh haven't haven't played it in forever though and so i would go like hey let's let's play it together and you know so i'd pop a quarter in that one and like play that and they and they enjoyed it uh you know they enjoyed a nice memory and they're like you know they pointed to another one and go oh i remember this one and we'd play that one and when we were exhausted with all of the games that they remembered, you know, I said, well, hey, these ones came out, like, not shortly after that. You want to check them out? And they said, sure. And be because, like I said, the arcade was sort of arranged chronologically, right, with older stuff at the back. Your Galaga was way in the back, and your, like, Space Invaders was at the back, and Marvel vs. Capcom was at the front we sort of did this cool thing where we just went down the line and we got to experience, you know, I got to share with them the sort of complete timeline of games from then to now. And because they were dudes that were gamers, like, in their youth, 
they were just interested and, and had fun playing games. And it was like the coolest thing. And we ended actually with uh, me hopping on the DDR machine because, you know, I'd played Soul Calibur and Marvel. You, you for danced them. for them is basically what's going on. In, <laughs> yeah, this, dark, in this dark arcade at like 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and, so... Um, whew, okay. I'm not going to so, have to say any of this in court, right? Because I, I'm not so, good at remembering details. So, yeah, yeah, right. So the reason that I got on the DDR machine, because I wasn't going to, because I was like, this isn't even a thing they would recognize, right? It doesn't have buttons or like a joystick. So, but then they went over and were like what what is this like mystical device they're like how do you play a game with no buttons or a joystick and, were and they so, both william shatner <laughs> and so it was super cool because i felt like you know the point is like you know so yeah i got up and danced for the old men and they were like wow that's amazing so nowadays you get your whole body involved in games and stuff and god the phrasing for this entire story is like 40 (laughs) percent pornographic okay right but so yeah my my one of my best memories was just being able to share like a passion of mine with like some other dudes like gaming you know and like they I felt like they really got a whole new experience out of it and we're like you know it was a passion for them and now they were like wow so this is how far like this thing I'm in, I'm into has come and it was it was really cool so it was sort of like my the ultimate sort of manifestation of that social experience that you can only really get in arcades and then you can't just you just can't get now you know with even with couch co-op although that's cool too but you know what i mean so boom best coolest memory i've got i I like that you actually told us a story like you took us on a journey (laughs) yeah but there you go now now i feel like i've contributed to this thing yeah you have yeah you definitely have like i was just sitting here thinking about how i'm fine having to fine tune everything and i'm like well really i need more of a story and you gave us a story, and I really appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's me. So I, I, I love arcades because I they are communal experiences, and I love sharing the things that I love with other people. And there's not a lot that I love more than video games. They're kind of my thing. So mm-hmm. there you go. All right. Well, I'm going to take this back to just being a listicle because I am um, I'm conscious of the fact that we are creeping up on one hour on the recording. So, oh, but okay. I, d- I did want to talk about what I felt was the more one of the more interesting aspects of like arcades in Tampa, which is that if hipsters were a thing, and in some form they always have been, of course, but if arcade hipsters had been a thing, Tampa would have been paradise because I kind of grew up. I was I was mostly conscious of the late 80s, early 90s. And um, 
So I got to watch the transition. Like uh, if you went into an arcade, when I first started going to them, you would see all the classic stuff, like the really classic stuff that's now showing up on Namco Museum compilations. Of course, you would see Pac-Man, you'd see Dig Dug, Galaga, et cetera, et cetera. You'd also see some of the stuff that's kind of memory hold, like, uh, I don't know, Rally X and Jungle Hunt, all those games. But Weirder things, like more advanced things, were starting to appear. I remember the first time that I would see things like um, uh, like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Those, uh, I think those were a little before I started going. But I remember seeing those both at Skate Odyssey. Like I said, I, yeah. I, I can remember clearly where I every single goddamn arcade cabinet was. Uh, I remember going to a theme park and spotting shit like Zybots and... Uh, Final Fight for the first time, which was very cool. I got addicted oh, to that. Love, game. love Final Fight. Yeah, but there Ooh, were also a nice treat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I fell in love with that game. Like I remember playing Double Dragon and thinking, like, eh, this is this is good. This is good. It's it, you know, it was basically the yeah. thing that kicked off the brawler's popularity. But then Final Fight was the one that came along and went like, no, 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 no. This is how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Final <laughs> Fight was just like Sega does what Nintendo don't. Well, Capcom, it, but... it it wasn't Sega. Yeah, yeah I know, yeah. but it was okay. that 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 attitude. That was the feeling I got, at least. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, no, to no, put no. a feeling in your brain for you. No, 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 no. Don't worry about cutting in. Everybody should be talking. Um, and but there were so many weird little games, uh, like. The Japanese really took off with laser disc games like Dragon's Lair. And I think probably the average guy who went to an arcade did not see a lot of them, but they were all over Tampa. There was one called Cliffhanger that reused footage from two different Loop and the Third movies. <laughs> okay. And and the crazy part is that they were entirely polar opposites on the art style. So it was very jarring to watch this game because it was Castle of Cagliostro, which is a Miyazaki film. So, you know, very beautiful, very smooth. Uh, the yeah. characters had a very distinct and kind of young look. And then the other one was Mystery of Mamo, which is a very weird blocky kind of inspector gadget looking characters they had like a lot of hair on the back of their hands it was ultra stylized like very unanime in a lot of ways so so just to be clear real quick we're still talking about games in the in the spirit of uh dragon slayer like the yes, yes. animated like press the right input at the right time yes business. okay okay and um so that was a weird one because I was looking at it and I had no concept of what Japanese animation was, but you know, the fact that the characters would look radically different from scene to scene was like, okay, something's going on here. This got edited out of something. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I learned years later, like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I picked up a DVD of uh, mystery of Mama and I'm like, Oh, I've seen this in the arcade. Weird. Um, Sweet. and, then there was a really weird one called Badlands, which was an anime western. And it had no huh. controller. It just had a single button, and you had to press it at the right time. <laughs> it looked like any other Laserdisc game, but somebody would draw on you, and you had to press the button really quickly. Or somebody just came out and said something, and if you shot them, well, you lost a life. Or... A woman would come out of a cottage and turn into a fucking dinosaur because it was Japanese. Yeah. 
So it was just a quick draw simulator. Uh, essentially, it looked like any other kind of uh, laser disc game where things were actually going on on the screen, but all of a sudden, like somebody would try to shoot you. And and here I thought that I I found the game with the least buttons ever in Dive Kick, which uses two buttons. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, now, now we've got a one button game, so I've a, never yeah. seen that before. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you can find all the footage on YouTube easily these days uh, for any of these games, of course. Um, it's a no button game. Sorry. Then it becomes a no button game. Mm, this this <laughs> yeah. is true, uh, which is the preferable way to view these, as we've discussed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to say there was one other anime laser disc game I saw, but I can't remember which one it was. I didn't see Time Gal in the arcade. I know that was a, a popular one. I only played that on, yeah, Sega CD. Yeah. I only got it on console. Yeah, I actually had one that I don't think, I don't know if it had an arcade release, but there was one called Strawl that I owned on the 3DO not heard of it yeah it uh, yeah it had character designs that looked like they were by the golgo 13 guy but it was a fantasy game huh um okay but there were so many oddities like what am i thinking of oh yeah people stare blankly at me at on this one some people know what i'm talking about a lot of people don't chiller oh yeah that was a exity uh shooting game right yes yeah it was torture stuff in it yeah, where you would uh, it, it would be a self-scrolling camera, very rough graphics. Like it, it looked like the equivalent of an Indonesian movie that came out around the same time as all those glossy '80s action movies. And, yeah, it was the same game, same game as Crossbow, basically, but yes. it's just like horror. And, yeah, and the thing about Chiller was that it was kind of really distasteful because it would have like a naked woman on her, on a torture rack and you would get points for like shooting her flesh off of her body and shit like that. Yeah. They were pretty crude. Yeah. And the, the wildest part of that is that it actually had an NES port. Ooh. But of course they replaced everything. So it was kind of the same gameplay, but you know, you're just shooting at bats and stuff like that. Mm. In these they pulled a like levels. Super Mario Brothers two reskin on it. Yeah. Um, oh, also, I remember seeing the Super Mario Brothers arcade game, not the Play Choice ten. It actually had an arcade version. Oh. Yeah. Wait, that one where you were, you were on platforms and like you'd fucking kick turtles at each other or something. I think. No, 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 no. That's original Mario Brothers. Oh, okay. That's okay. No, okay. Super I'm... Mario Brothers, the NES launch title had an arcade version, which was essentially the same game, except, of course, 50,000 times harder. Oh, wow, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. if you ever uh, if you were playing around with emulators, like, try that one out. That and the Castlevania arcade game, they are both a cast-iron bitch, and they will make you cry. <laughs> it's like the Dark Souls of the ancient past. Yeah, and that's something that's always fascinated me is how, like, arcades influenced game design for quite a while. It took a while for us to get away from, like, the three lives paradigm. It took a while for us to uh, to make yeah. games, like, basically modern games kind of sometimes seem like they're made for babies. I, I don't mean to be snotty about it, but, uh, you know, NES games, I mean, they were games short. have been getting easier over time. Yeah. NES games were short, but you played them a lot longer, I feel, simply because it took you longer to figure yeah. them out. 
And and once see a cool thing about those for me was, yeah, you games were difficult, and so you put a lot of hours into repetition to beating them, but then once you beat them, you also just got replay value out of playing the game because it was fun to do it well. Yeah. And so and and also also you got even more replay value and social value by like your friends had the same game they haven't beaten it yet so they come over and you look cool and be like check it out I finally did it and you know it was very like whoa man how'd you do that that's cool yeah like kind of a vibe <laughs> I was I think I think I probably qualify for like legendary nerd status because I remember like a couple of strangers would call me and ask for advice when I was a kid nice (laughs) how do i do do this in metroid well metroid's basically unplayable but you can try this games were so hard that it was a job to be a freaking game counselor that people would call up and be like how do i perform this task (laughs) and and people would pay dollars a minute to to be able to beat their game yeah. Yeah. Well, you, well, you know, that was how you felt like you had actually accomplished something. Was it was difficult, and I beat it, right? If it's not difficult, and you beat it, like, what did you do? Yeah. It, uh, um. Yeah. Nowadays, like, unless the game gives you a real like narrative or artistic experience, like challenge is one of the things I look for because you want to feel that sort of sense of accomplishment. You ever play? I want to be the guy. Oh my God! I, I did not beat that. I no. will not beat that. Fuck that. Like, <laughs> Do you want to know something fun? Yeah, sure. I, I've known the guy who made that since well before he made that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I've, I just watch perfect runs on YouTube by people who have put hundreds of hours into oh memorizing God. it. <laughs> like, I understand. Like, uh, Yeah, I watch stuff like that. And I understand why people bullied me now. <laughs> yeah like i want to be the guy is like the quintessential kaizo like fucking pull your own hair out rage experience if if you want to feel that rage that's that's the one. <laughs> oh god do you know i know i can think of more examples i am uh but uh, there's just so many tangents I want to go on. There's so much shit. I think that I might pass the ball to Tim here in just a moment, but give me a second. Yeah. You like, know, we, I, can, we can tangent after Yeah, everybody well, goes and then just cut it all out because it's been three hours. <laughs> I uh, There's one game that I saw that I don't think anybody else has ever been able to identify for me. And it was such a fascinating one. It seems like the kind of game that they would make these days. Oh, this sounds like a Tim assistance time. Well, I think, you... I, I think I've asked Tim about this. Yeah, that's a, you're talking about the driving one, right? Yes. Yeah. You can you can explain it for the audience, I guess. Uh, yeah, okay. You can so explain it for me. This... It was an overhead driving game. I want to say it was around 1990 or sometime into the early 90s. Like my immediate 
my, my brain immediately says Spy Hunter, but keep going. No, 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 no. That no. probably wasn't it. <laughs> no, I, I think I would be able to identify Spy Hunter if I saw it. Yeah. Uh, and that was in the Northdale Plaza arcade back when it was a double-layered building where nobody ever went to the back layer. Um, so this was actually kind of a um, an early Grand Theft Auto-style control where you could turn the car you know, around 360 degrees. Uh, Top-down, straight overhead view. And it had fixed screens that you would drive between. And it was essentially kind of a cross-country road trip where I think that you were trying to avoid the cops and you would have to strategically refuel. And there were elements of it where you would have to cut off road to get to another screen where it was kind of hidden, so you kind of had to like figure it out. Huh. And there was even, interestingly, an element of puzzle solving. Like at one point I saw another player who could get much further than I could. Um, pass a big truck and then he gets to the next screen and there's a police blockade around a blind corner so he pulls over the truck goes around the blind corner and wipes out this blockade and he then drives through it so interesting game but I can't remember the yeah, name I have no idea I saw it in a single arcade everybody I ever uh, tell this about stares at me blankly and asks, you know, like, was I heavily into psychedelics back then? <laughs> huh. Which I, to, which I say, no, not heavily. <laughs> yeah, like, I... I only know two overhead driving games and, like, neither of those are it, so... Because yeah. you described a whole bunch of other crap. Well, I described. I don't think I described something that's anything like games at the time. A lot hmm. of those elements in that were pretty bizarre. Well, the games were kind of an open book for a long time. You know, there wasn't really a, a there weren't really genres in the form, and so people could kind of go off and do whatever. And uh, you know, you throw it at the wall, see if it sticks. So there's a lot of stuff that you know just um, you know didn't doesn't match up with current genres. Hmm. I kind, of feel, I kind of feel the opposite is true because I think arcades were heavily, you know, formulated to, to play on what worked before. So you have a lot of brawlers, you have a lot of overhead shooters, you have, you know, then kind of the, um, uh, I don't know, the on-rail shooters started to appear and stuff like that. So for the, for the PC, I think it was a little more freeform. You had a little more experimentation that was obvious in stuff that you could actually get your hands on. And in arcades, people tended to stock like the stuff that worked. I'm sure there were even more like gonzo games than what I saw, but uh, I think arcade owners kind of made the market a little bit sterile. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there were a lot of games which were cookie cutters. They would follow the genre. You know, after Space Invaders, there were a million games that were, you know, you shoot up and they're aliens. Yeah. And they'd, you know, permutate on that infinitely. And they, they still do, really. Um, you know, at least in Japan. But, uh, but you know, there's also, then you'd end up with something like Reactor, right? 
So you've got this blob, and it's in a reactor, and you have to kind of go and press the button to sort of force the like electrons into the walls while the, the thing in this while the core in the center is growing, and you have to like knock out the control rods, and it's like you know you call control with a trackball, and it plays like hard rock music, and it's like this is like nothing else ever, and it probably wasn't a very popular game, but boy, when that thing you know played in the arcade, that riff, it was like wow, this is something, you know. Um, so yeah, there there was there was a lot of room, especially in the '80s ones, especially '70s and '80s games. Like there was no documentation of what the form was. People made whatever, yeah. and uh, you know it just was like, does this work? How about this one? And if we, that's how you end up with weird shit like Pac-Man. Who would ever make Pac-Man now, right? You know, you have a pie with a slice cut out, and it goes and eats dots, and ghosts chase it. Like <laughs> it's like how you wind up with ET, the, 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 like. Well, I, I know the guy that wrote E.T., you know, and, and you know, I, he, I mean, but he's told his story. I don't need to tell his story, right? You, know, <laughs> you, you, you can read that in an infinite number of places. He's got a book out, right? So, you know, you, yeah, you, yeah. you read Howard's story from Howard. My, my best friend had E.T. We used to play that and try to figure out, like, why. <laughs> because, like... And now we know. Freaking code monkeys with no oversight and drugs. Well, no, well, that, that was the result of a rush, mostly, but that's, oh, again, okay. that's a different story. Well, that, that, that's all the games at Atari at that point in time, but, uh, <laughs> like, literally. Um, but E.T. was mostly about time crunch and not left time of test. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I'm going to toss to you, Tim. Go for it. Okay, well, we're going to be here for a while. Um, I was you know, born in 1969. I am Gen X, so I was around for the heyday of arcades. And um, you know, my earliest memories of arcades, it wasn't so much arcades, but you know, you'd be in the mall and there'd be this game. You know, they were in black and white then. And there was this game with a fire. You, you'd control the fire truck and there were two steering wheels, one in the front and one in the back. And you'd like have to, somebody'd have to steer the front of the thing and the other person would have to steer the back of the thing. And you'd, and you, and you'd, so you'd go around corners. You'd try not to hit things with a long, you know, back of the fire engine um and i didn't never got to play that because i didn't have another player to play the back um and i was also oh. like five right but that sounds uh, dope though yeah it was it was interesting you know they, they had stuff like that um you know and and the uh you know and then like around 77 star wars came out and so like then that was when you know and that was really kind of when arcades were starting to hit at 2600 was also out around uh 77 so was star wars the one where you played from the view of the x-wing cockpit well i'm talking about the movie right you know oh, and okay. so right and so when this, the movie star wars came out then they made games based on star wars that didn't pay for star wars so there was one from exity called starfire one you can play it on mame and it was a first person space game uh, where you shot TIE fighters and um, you know it was just it was just you know first person you know shooting you you and you had a steering wheel right? like, it's kind of like a, it looked like a, like a, a airplane control yoke but you could push it in and out to go and, and, and do your your you know tilts forward tilt back and it had a, uh, a shifter for your speed you could go forward and backward you could put your your, your spaceship into reverse uh, and occasionally, like this little ship with the XCD logo would go across the screen. You could shoot that for extra points. It was sort of like a like a sort of a 3D Space Invaders. It was all done with like pixel graphics, right? It wasn't really you know 3D 3D. Um, but that, I remember that was like one of my first things that really hit me as a uh, arcade game as a kid. Yeah, I was probably like seven. They had it at Jumpers Mall in Pasadena, and Maryland, Pasadena, Maryland. Uh, I was I was from the Baltimore DC area, so. Um, and uh, another game around that time was uh, from, uh, also another one from Exidy, it was called Venture. 
And um, you had a little happy face with a bow and arrow, and you went around in a dungeon and shot monsters. There were hall monsters. You'd go up to Rome and you'd zoom in, and your puzzle, you had to go and get, you know, sneak inside and get the gem. And if you took too long, the monster would come from outside and get you, and there were snakes to shoot. And they were, boy, they, they dodge well. Um, and I, I actually, <laughs> later on, I actually owned that arcade game. I actually bought the arcade game and had it at home, and uh, I, I managed to get a few levels in it, but I never beat that game. You know, it was, it was hard. But, um, yeah, so, you know, so so back then, you know, the arcades, you know, at first it started off and it was like kind of like an everybody thing. Ooh, arcades, they're cool. But then it sort of kind of got to be a thing like that was more degenerate, right? Kids would play it and stoners would play it. And, it, you know, we didn't really have this idea that a lot of people were on drugs back then. I suppose a lot more people were on drugs than we knew. Uh, it was kind of a verboten thing, so you just assumed that people weren't. But... Um, an arcade was a dark place with games, and sometimes there'd be loud music playing, and oftentimes there'd be black lights up, and, and like those neon posters on the wall, you know, these sort of psychedelic posters. So you, I would imagine that probably like the, the kid in the back, you know, there's like usually like one room with some kid who would kind of clean up stuff and, you know, try to, you know, bang on the machine if you lost your quarter or something. And that, guy, but that guy was probably almost certainly stoned, but at the time, you know, I was like seven, I didn't know. Um, so yeah, so arcades were kind of a, 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 a like a, almost this, this sort of weird hallucinogenic temple back then. And, um, yeah, there was, you know, I mean, so many games. I remember when, you know, when Space Invaders hit, that was like a huge thing. And, you know, that hit in 1978, but things weren't equally distributed back then. So, you know, even though it hit in 78, you might not have gotten it in your local arcade until, like, you know, 79 or something like that. But it was, that, was, that really kind of blew up arcades, right? Before Pac-Man, uh, Space Invaders was the thing, and that had a huge influence. And actually was what launched the 2600, right? Because even though the 2600, you know, home game really existed before then, um... When Space Invaders hit, suddenly became a thing people wanted, right? It's like, yeah, before I could play Pong and I had Tank Game and stuff like that. Yeah. But then people, like, they wanted to play Space Invaders, so they, oh, it has Space Invaders cartridge? They are there. And it was a good cartridge, actually, Space Invaders on the 2600. Um, okay, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I'm very curious because you're talking about the black lights and the posters and all that, and this is an experience that I never had. Now, granted, I'm a little bit younger than you. I'm still one of the olds. But... Um, like, my earliest memories are kind of like what I think people refer to, like what Evan referred to earlier as the quintessential 80s arcade, where it's a little bit neon, you know, like a little bit uh, kind of lively like that, um, uh, kind of often with pop or rock music playing, and uh, heavily... I, mean, I, I, I like had the, the arcade in uh, Robocop 2? I probably it's been I haven't watched that since it was in the theaters and I watched it illegally um, <laughs> uh, but like actually I had this weirdly appropriate like nostalgic uh, experience that a lot of my arcade playing was at Skate Odyssey so you would go skating around this uh, this roller skating rink and then you know you would just kind of step off and go over to the arcade and you would get it really into a game, and it turned into both like trying to navigate, uh, you know, the race and pole position while not giving yourself a concussion because you're getting really into it, and like just kind of sliding back and forth. So when did this change from these two things happen? Because I've never even heard of like a trip out arcade, like what you're talking it's, about. We're before before he enlightens us. Like I, it's weird that you missed, like. Uh, dark fluorescent 
arcades because I was in a couple of those and I loved them. Well, there were some vestiges of that, but he's talking about oh, okay, like, with okay. the posters and everything. Like I do kind of remember black lights being a thing. Okay, okay, okay. But so. at this at this point, like you know, you had a few of the older kids, but arcades were mostly like really young people when I was at them, like around my age. And, okay. I, I think Tim like went to arcades when it was kind of like a, a haven for like feral fifteen year olds, the type of shit you hear about. <laughs> oh, I you know I usually only got to go to these places where my parents would go off to the mall and then like I'd manage to convince them to let me off at the arcade while they wanted to you know, my mom wanted to shop for clothes or something like that, you know. But um you know, a lot of these you know, it, it kind of went you know, in the mall arcades, right? You know, which is what we had in Maryland. Um, you know, they were they were you know, a lot of them got to be kind of dingy places. I remember, you know, the one and the one with the particular one with the blacklight posters was at Herondale Mall in, um, uh, not it was uh, near Ellicott City in uh, Maryland. Um, you know, and it was this little tiny hole in the wall thing. They had a whole bunch of games packed in there, but it was really not big. Certainly smaller than my house. Um, you know, smaller than like a room in my house. But uh, but there were there were a lot of arcades and arcades in like odd places, right? So, you know, your pizza place would have two games in it, right? Your bowling alley would have an arcade room in it. You know, and those would be, you know, more, you know, better lit and stuff like that. But still, the, you know, the pizza place one would be kind of scuzzy. Um, the, uh, you know, the, obviously there was the roller rink one. You know, they usually had a pretty good arcade in the roller rink. Um, the, we had a place in uh, Columbia, Maryland. Later in my life, we, I lived in Columbia, Maryland, a much more upscale thing. And um, they had... Uh, the uh, place called uh, the Outer Limits, and um, it didn't have the neon posters, but still had the the you know darkness and the black lights and stuff like that. And they it was kind of like a whole building to itself in the parking lot, which I think eventually they turned into an Arby's or something. <laughs> but um, but they had you know really odd selection of games. They had they had games that other places didn't have. I mean, I've skipped over a whole bunch of stuff here. You know you know Pac Man, which I think I first played in you know the back of an Italian restaurant in the Columbia Mall. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, they had another arcade out on Route 40 that had wood paneling in it, you know, and it was, it was that was, like, Braley for us in Linton. There's this whole thing with my, uh, my uncle, quotes, Bob, uh, who my, um, my, my, was a friend of my father's from work, and, uh, he was, um, you know, kind of between places to live, so he kind of lived in our house for a while, my parents would let him take me out to the arcade, and we'd play Berserk, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that was that was really cool when I was like, you know, eight years old or whatever. But um, you know, back before you would, you know, back when you would let your 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 kid go with their, a male friend somewhere, you know, and it wasn't like, oh no, he's going to molest him. You know, it was mm. diff- different time. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the outer limits. Um, it had like odd games, like there was this one called the Pit, where you know it's kind of there's this big tank on one side of the street and it's shooting down a mountain to get at your um, your spaceship, right? Because you were the invader and you had to kind of go and navigate this maze and get all these treasures out of this thing. And there were these guys climbing around in the tunnels and you tried to like keep from if you got too close to them they just attack you and you die. And at the end of the thing, the only way out was to go across this bridge, which would you know kind of turn up behind you and it would drop you into lava or something or you know some creature would eat you if you if you fell in and you had to like go up through this narrow passage uh, and then you could climb back up into your in your spaceship and go away and they could do the same level again um, but it was a really odd game they had um, 
the uh, the armor attack game, the vector game, where you're driving a little jeep around and 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 trying to like you know not get shot by tanks and helicopters and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, they had they had just a, like I think there was one called Spy 005. It was like like weird off-brand arcade games that you'd never heard of at that place, and that that was pretty cool. And they had a snack bar that was never open. Um, you know, and, and, but, uh, that was really neat. I was there because we had this like little local cable kids TV show we would do. And after the meetings for that were over, I'd go over and play at the arcade until my parents came pick me up. Um, but there was, there was a bunch of, you know, really interesting games in the mall arcades. You know, there were things like Omega Race, which, you know, a vector game and you were piloting this little ship around. It was in a sit down format and you had like your controls on your either side or a spinner to control your ship orientation and you'd shoot with the other hand. And you're, it was kind of like a sport, like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to, like, you know, clear the, the bad guys, and some of them would shoot at you, and some of them would stand still, and, um, you know, there were, like, mines and stuff. Uh, that was interesting. Um, Wait, re real quick, like, when you say, when you mention, like, um, the, uh, a vector game with a tank, like, was that, was that in, uh, like, heavy air quotes 3D? No. I mean, no, okay. It was the top-down one, that one, the uh, armor attack. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I I thought I might have like uh, played one of these, but no, I'm thinking of something else. Anyway, well, Battlezone was in 3D, sort of. Um, so you know, the Battlezone was the Atari one, which is famous that everybody's played. Because um, I played I, one on like DOS where it was drawn with, it was like full of scan lines and it was primitive polygons, and you were a tank. And you could rotate, and you were shooting guys in the distance, and it was 3D. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were plenty of knockoffs of uh, Battlezone. Um, okay, okay. But my, my point about the Honor Limits was just that it had an odd assortment of games. It didn't have, like, the ones which you might have known about. You know, it's like, you know, they might have had Pac-Man, but they would also have Ladybug, right? You know, just kind of like Pac-Man knockoff, where you had these weird revolving doors and stuff like that. And um, <laughs> it was kind of this odd formative experience to have this arcade that had games that nobody else had. Um, the other, one of the best arcades around actually was the community college out in Catonsville, uh, UMBC. They had a big arcade in the back, and that was where I got to play a lot of the um, uh, Sega, um, you know, super scalar games uh, like uh, Power Drift and um, Outrun and uh, Afterburner, stuff like that. But they had um, what was, became one of my favorite games of all time, which was Speed Rumbler, which was from 1986 from Capcom. I actually do only board of that one. And. Uh, it's a top-down driving game where you shoot people at sort of a Mad Max setting, and you know, uh, Zapper has captured your family. You have to go and 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 you know, bring us some money in 24 hours, or they'll be killed. And you have to go through all these zones and shoot at punks. And the thing with the game was that your car would take damage, and if it got down to zero damage, you'd catch fire, and you could press a button and jump out, and they had this little tiny guy with a pea shooter, and you had to wait, and they'd bring you another car, and then you could get back in that car, and keep on going, right, if you're really good, I mean, you have to, like, you know, there are guys shooting at you, and other cars, and going around, and stuff like that, um, but I just thought that was great, that you could get out of your car, and you had this little tiny guy, he's like four pixels high, and you're, like, trying to go <laughs> survive, and um, that, was, that was one of my favorite games, I, like I said, I went out and bought the arcade board later, and um, you could put the quarters in to beat it, um, you know, if you wanted to discontinue. But trying to beat it on one quarter was uh, was difficult. And it had this like ragtime music it played. It had FM synthesizer played ragtime music as your backing music. It was it was really cool. I, I'm uh, glad you repeated the part about the um, having the arcade board, Evan. 
I don't think you are too familiar with Tim's setup, but he lives in a mansion at the top of a hill, and uh, he has an insane assortment of just stuff. Wait a minute, hold on, Tim. Are you are you giant laser disc man? Like yes. Do you? Okay, I I've been up there like once. Okay, uh, uh, I don't remember. But that. yeah, yeah, we went there after we were at. Like out in the desert on some ranch trying to do a photo shoot for something I forgot. Oh yeah, yeah, the Disney Ranch, the uh, the Golden Ranch. Yeah. yeah, and like we 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 hung in this place for a second. Okay. It was okay. like, what are these vinyl record sized <laughs> CDs? <laughs> like, I was like, how do you even play this? But, yes, uh, very carefully. Um, yeah, well, it, then you know that mansion is somewhat of a overstatement of the size of my of my dwelling, but um, but I do have a lot of a lot of stuff. Yes, that's right, kids. If you uh, grow up and you imagine become single, you imagine stay single in your fifties and you don't throw anything away, you too can be a hoarder. Yay! Well, um, you you admonished me about calling you a hoarder ever again after living at well that other place. Yeah, well, uh, certainly, uh, you know. Can, uh, I mean, I'm neck and neck with Mike, but um, I, I feel like I was, I'm maybe just a little, I have a little bit of an advantage there, although that advantage is diminishing day by day. Mike did move, and, and, and I don't know, no idea how clean his new place is, but not really for public consumption here. Yeah. So, <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but, you know, so, so yeah, so, you know, but yeah, arcades used to be everywhere, and, you know, and some places even had pinball. Pinball is great. Pinball is wonderful. Um, you know, at, when college we had um, arcade in the back of the uh, the cafeteria thing on the on the bottom floor of the building with the cafeteria, they had an arcade there, and they had you know a, you know a handful of of games and including some pinball, and they had the Williams pinball games like Fire, um, which is a kind of an unusual one, and High Speed and Pinbot, um, you know, which were which were great games. They also had the Atari uh, Road Blasters game. Um, you know, which is a you know, first-person, you know, driving, shooting things game, and uh, I think I'm trying to remember if they were the ones who had Badlands or for someplace else. Uh, my friends, um, you know, went to college in Maryland at UMBC. I went to Virginia Tech. They went to UMBC, and uh, not not UMBC. Sorry, they went to University of Maryland proper in College Park. And near them, there was an arcade called the Golden Dome, and boy, that place was sketchy. Um, but they had like you know, the Indiana Jones game and the uh, and, and and you know the oh, God what else do they have there? Um, yeah, really really bizarre selection of, of stuff to Golden Dome. But it was but like I said, we always felt kind of unsafe going to the Golden Dome. Uh, yeah, I think there were drug deals going down at the Golden Dome. Um, you know that was that was at uh, in Spring Hill Lake, I think it was a place there. Um, but uh, but yeah, but like I said, arcades kind of you know went into the sort of sketchy territory there for a while. And although there were some wholesome ones, a lot of them you know were you know arcade games are for delinquents, you know, and a lot of the operators just treat them like money making robots and didn't maintain things very well. And so it kind of became a place where you know delinquents could hang out. But I just actually wanted to play games. So was it so was it an issue of just like with any new thing, it's it can be sort of explosive, but then. Once the novelty wears off, only the people that really like it, you know, stick. Like everyone else gets filtered out, and then once the population decreases, you can have ne'er do wells hang out or something. Well, I think that um, it uh, you know, so there's some of that, right? Um, but also, you know, there was kind of the you know when you had home games, 
they kind of diminished from the arcade audience because people could just play games at home. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like it doesn't cost a quarter to play it at home. Um, you know, even though the home games are always uh, kind of second fiddle to the arcade games well up in, into the end of the 90s. That That is that is how my uncle actually introduced me. It, my uncle introduced me to video games. Uh, when I was five years old, he showed me this cool new thing he bought, which was like a... He, he described it, he said... You know this this machine will let us play like cool games at home where you normally have to go places to like play these these new games. And so he was, yeah, he he sort of was. Uh, the, the, basically, the reason I got into gaming at a young age was because of the sort of now we can do this at home uh, thing. Yeah. Well, it was, it was cool, but the arcade, the games in the arcade were always of a better quality, right? There was always in, in a yeah. higher standard. Yeah, I remember, you know, wishing, just wishing about, you know, that we would actually have, like, graphics on our home systems were as good as the ones in the arcade games, so we'd have decent ports of these things. I was always feeling very stymied by it. Now we do, and I'm like, I wish we could go back to the pixel graphics where it was a lot easier to create, <laughs> and we could have these nice little 2D games which were fun, rather than these things where have to be photorealistic and, you know... Um, and then you have to pay six dollars to play it. But yeah. uh, hang out with me. I'll recommend you all kinds of. The pixel art has come back, and it's great. But, uh, but yeah. yeah well, I, I feel though that like a lot of the newer ones, um, they, they've they've gotten way too into the the gaminess of the game, and um, like it's. You're thinking you want more of just like the mechanical hand-eye challenge of of performing the task of a game rather than uh well there was a certain there was a limit to it right there was sort of you know you didn't finish a game you, you played it for a high score oh right. i see what you're saying there right. are those as well it, like i'm 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 way too into games so i <laughs> i will always be able i make it my business to be like what do you like I have a video game for you. Yeah, so we, well, I, I can get you back to the glory days of high score games too. Yeah, well, just you know, I mean, I like adventure games. I like you know, um, you know, you know, things with plots and stories and stuff like that. But you know, when when you talk about the old school Twitch games, a lot of the newer ones they get they get way too complicated. I just I just cannot be arsed anymore. I to, to go and and learn all this stuff in order to play the game. It's like look. Is there a fire button? Do I shoot? And then sometimes, you know, they they it's it seems like it's gotten so repetitive uh, with the newer ones, you know, that because you don't ever die because there's no nothing at stake, um, you know, it's not like you're going to lose your quarter and then you have to start all over from the beginning. Um, then you know the game just is just a long slog of doing the same thing over and over, and it's like oh, but you can power up your thing like this and you can do this and you can have this big system for the, and it's just like. I don't care, and yeah. I've gotten tired of playing your game just watching the video. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, and like, yeah, they, they're few and far between, but they exist. Right, I mean, the thing with the, the arcade games was, if they did not earn, they were out. Yeah. Right? So, so they had to tune those things before they put them out in the arcades. They had to tune them to go and make you feel... Like, you, you got your, your quarters with, but you wanted more, and so you want to put another quarter in, and you're going to beat it this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're going you're gonna to get to that next level this time, 
Right, and so yeah. they, they were very, very finely tuned, right? Even with the limited graphics of the time and limited sound effects, you really felt like, like you know, you were making progress and you were, you were, you were, you know, but they were hard. They were really yeah. hard, but you felt like you had done something when you played them. And when your game, you know, I mean, like now all games are free and everything is, you know, super easy. You can play forever. And yeah. it's, it's like, then you don't feel like you have any why anymore. Right, you know, it's like, why do I want to play this forever? Right, you know, it's it's it, you've you've given up the goods too early. You know, why like, why I want to game with free? <laughs> like, I I would love to game with you and like go on this journey of seeing if we can recapture the fucking glory days. That sounds fun. Yeah, right. well, there's the the point with you know, when I, like I said, I had this console project I was I was doing with some people, right? We were going to make a new sort of video game computer console thing. It was kind of like being you know, like an 8-bit computer that was designed solely for games, like you do. And but I was going to make it have cartridges. But the idea was it wasn't going to be an emulating system. It wasn't going to be like oh, we can play Pac-Man on yet another thing. It was going to be only for new games, new old games. Yeah. Right. You, 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 you know, it's like we give you sprites and we give you tile maps and and we give you all the things you had back in the day, like you know, kind of Sega Genesis level, maybe, more like a Neo Geo, really. But you know, kind of that level of hardware. It's like okay, make new games that do this kind of thing, right? And that's all. You, that's all this does, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and and you, you can only buy them on cartridge, and so every, there wouldn't be very many games, and every game would be an event. Yeah. You know? that, I mean, that's yeah, that's that's how it used to be. You know, it's, you know, that you have to you got pull that off, that would be amazing. Yeah, like, uh, like, I, like, and it, while I think it would be super niche, it would be really fun to just have, like, a new 8-bit console, <laughs> like, yeah. that was, because it's all about the games in the end, if you can make the games fun, like, that's all you need. Yeah, well, I think it was, I wasn't even, like, that attached to being 8-bit, it was just about the style of graphics, the sort of, like, you know, kind of style, you know, like you said, Super Nintendo, Neo Geo, the tile and sprite graphics, and I was yeah. going to put a modern chip in it, I was going to put an ARM chip in it, you know, it wouldn't have as much memory as, like, your cell phone, but it wouldn't matter, because you wouldn't need that much memory, because you have the old school graphics, but the yeah. idea was just, but the limitation of the hardware would force you to think about your game in, ter in the terms of, you know, what caused those games to be the way they were, right? Yeah. You know, so now it's like, well, this is what this hardware suggests you make and so you're going to make something which is going to work with that just you know do me a favor and make the like don't make the make the size of the cartridge like big enough to actually physically hold the like flash memory and like not <laughs> don't give me the nes cartridge and like the only <laughs> you know and you don't need and there's like empty space in there well, I mean, now you can make a thing which fits in your fucking thumbnail, right? You know, your 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 yeah. little pinky nail, like, right? Make make your cartridges like thumb drives, you know. Don't make them a big square that I don't need. Well, well, I actually I disagree, right? Okay, okay, okay. And, and the reason is that the when you buy something, right? We're getting kind of getting off the the track of what we're what we're okay. Oh, talking we've about here. been off the track. Don't worry are, are, about like, it. I, I feel, oh, we're, are we moving into point. like collectors territory? Well, let me let me finish my point here. Yeah, right? yeah. So again, what we talked about earlier with software having value, right? You know, it's like right now software is this sort of you know nebulous thing. It has no value, right? But when it was on a cartridge, it had a value. And I feel like if you if your thing is like really really tiny, then you feel like it's not worth very much. So you want something that's a, like at least like you know, 
the size, you know, something we can hold in your hand, right? Not okay. something you can have to hold between your fingers, but something you can actually hold in your hand, right? So I feel like not the NES style cartridge, but about the Super Nintendo style cartridge or a Sega Genesis cartridge. You yeah, know, something around that was about the right size. I think like a bigger than a Sega Genesis cartridge, but smaller than the NES cartridge, right? So it would be. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, I wanted to make something which like. If somebody wanted to make one at home, or if somebody wanted to make a cartridge on a circuit board at home and solder it up, you could do that, right? Yes. You could make it with, with, with through-hole logic. You didn't have to do surface mount and little tiny chips and stuff like that. You can oh, actually I make see. Yeah, making it bigger definitely makes it more, like, accessible, though. For yeah, because remember, all the electronics in the 80s was through-hole electronics, right? It was all, yeah. the, you know, the large... The, the pin, you had pins and leads rather than you know the surface mount. Even if our board is made with surface mount, I'd like it to have that ability that you know you could have made it on a larger board. Um, you could have made it with through hole parts theoretically. You, um, you know, it's it's super. Like I feel you very much. So it's it's an interesting perspective because while I while while I think that. Like software, like software you own, like files on my computer that I can run independently of anything has value because I, you know, I I also do see the charm in like there was something special about like holding a SNES cartridge when I was a kid, you know, uh, like pulling it out of a box and putting it in the machine. So like. Well, yeah, there's a like, thing now where they like the people buy stuff and then they have videos online where they're unboxing it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like I feel you because and pulling the thing out has value, right? That that there's 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 a there's a experience yeah. there, right? Yeah. And, and so you know, I want to put that back in the software. I want to put back in the idea that it's a thing that has value and the experience of opening the box and the, and the experience of. I mean, when I worked at Working Designs, we were all about that thing, right? You know, people could pirate our games, but they didn't get the cloth map, and you didn't get the little pendant, and you didn't get the, the making of soundtrack, and you didn't get the full-color glossy book, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, with hardcover and all that, right? And, you know, foil-stamped, embossed, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know about that, but, but yeah, 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 because, yeah. Uh, like, you, you're giving them an entire package, you're giving them a thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's, and a thing has value, and all the little pieces have value. When you buy a game online, you know, if it's just a cartridge, it's not... You know, it's worth something, but if you have it new in box with this warranty card and everything, then that's worth more, right? And, yeah, yeah. and so that's the idea is to put the value back in software by making it a thing again. And yes, there's plenty of quality software out there. It's great quality software, wonderful software, stuff we never do back in the day. But it's worthless because it's not a thing. And you can't sell it to anybody else, you can't give it to anybody else, and when they turn off that online store, it won't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Like there, there are, there. I I'm and I'm not trying to sound like the software like lover, but you know, yeah, there there are there are definitely formats of software where it's not a thing. Like I I think the software like that I have, you know, I can, uh, you know, if I was into illegal activities, right, could copy it and give it to people like on a flash drive or like things like that but i te i definitely agree with your point about like but you can't legally give it to anybody else <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly and so right. that yeah but i i definitely see your point about like because having physical like tangibility makes you 
more attached to it. Definitely. You know, because it's different, like, because I'll share a game with somebody, you know, like, in my uh, Steam library, for instance, right? I'll be like, yo, now you can download this game that I bought. And sharing a game like that is cool, but, yeah, it doesn't quite match, I think, the sort of... the, the, the. the, the, the 90s cyberpunk from, aesthetic of the thing. Yeah, the closeness you get from handing a cartridge to another person in their hand and being like, hey, go check this out. Like, yeah, well, well, you know, it's just, a romantic it's, notion, kind of, I think. I like it. Well, it's, 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 I think it's inherently attached to a person's idea of value, right? I have a thing, the thing is worth money. But with software, you don't have a thing, so therefore you don't, it's not worth any money. And yeah. Yeah, the other thing was, you know, on this console thing, I wanted to not have the internet. And I wanted to not have USB. So now like, people wouldn't think, oh, I can just put a USB stick in it. Nope. Can't do that. Right? Yeah. I, I, you know, we can have an online store. Nope. You can't. There's no internet. There's no way to get the internet on this thing. There's no reason for you to ever have all the internet on this thing. No, you want to get a game, you buy it on a goddamn cartridge, and you stick it in your goddamn machine, and you enjoy it in the way that we intended. Right. This is like the most glorious old man rant like, I've ever heard. Yeah, I, on, one, <laughs> I on one hand, from a nostalgia perspective, I agree with you completely. On the other hand, I'm glad that the library that I have right now is not shitting up my personal space. Oh my god, yeah. I'm so glad that my Steam library is not taking up space yeah. in like the universe. Well, <laughs> well, the thing about it, like, you know... It, if your games on Steam actually had some value outside of just, like, you had paid for them, and you're like, you know, I'm tired of this game, I don't need it anymore, I could sell it. You could sell it. Yes, yes. And give it to yes. somebody else. And so rather than having to take up space on your shelf and take up space on somebody else's shelf, and you actually get your money back out of it. It might and even you know, be it's valuable. Yeah, and, and again, we are agreeing with you. I'm going to have to have a talk with you about your audio levels, by the way, because I think this is going to be a nightmare to listen to. But... <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick again because I am simply a human sieve. You guys continue. Okay, I I can talk to him while you're in the bathroom. Please. Alex, are you you... in a coma? He's always in a coma. (laughs) Okay, you guys continue. (laughs) So, you know, I I think that it would be... I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sort of... I'm fascinated with the concept of software like having value not only because it has value to me like because you know for me a flash drive with like games on it that i have like i've i've backed up games i really like on my flash drive in case you know mm-hmm. like that that flash drive because of what i've put on it has become valuable and like irreplaceable to me uh However, I think there's a lot of potential even to like shift the paradigm of people's perception where you know, like yeah, having the physical thing it just intrinsically jives with our instinctive notions of value and property and stuff. But I think that if 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 there were it was more generally accepted or understood that like hey like you know it i i i almost recapture that feeling you're talking about like 
if I were to, let's say I hand my flash drive to my friend and go like, yo, you've got to check this out, you know, run, run that or, or like play this. And essentially while, while it isn't, while the, while the shape of it is different, that feels like the same experience as handing him like the SNES cartridge and go, man, you've got to play this. Like, well, but that's only one part of the of the experience, well, right? Here, you know, also, I, I just came back and I think I'm not 100% sure I caught exactly what's going on, but there was an ad recently when um, Microsoft decided that your game was going to be locked to your console, even if it was physical, it was going to imprint and you could not hand that over to a friend. And so Sony, yeah. Sony responded with an ad was here's how to share games on the PS4. Yeah. And, and it, it has like hand the friend. Yeah, I got one game. guy hands the game yeah. over to another guy, but they very purposely of course had the big box that they used. They didn't have them handing over a jewel case or anything like that. So I think that Tim is right in that the size does kind of impart a sense of value. It does. Like I agree. I think I think that while there is you know, value that's lost. I'm, you know, in my mind, like if I hand a guy a SNES cartridge and I'm like, you got to check this out. If I hand a guy a flash drive and go, you got to check this out. I'm still getting 90% of that experience. I am missing that like 10% that comes well, that's, the size and the console aspect and all that, you know? Well, but that's only part of the thing though, right? Okay, yes, it's a handing the thing to another person thing. But there's also... The when you unboxed it and you feel felt like you actually bought something, part of it. Yeah, right? when you yeah. acquire it, that's a, yeah. you know there's the there's a part of it when you you know go and are looking at your shelf of games to see what you want to play right now, and you're seeing all these things that you bought and 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 looking at the box and looking at the art on the box, right, and opening up and paging through the manual, right, the manual. Think about a game with a manual, right, you know, and I, and maybe I, you I, could, I would actually read. The last time I bought a physical game, I still I've never stopped reading the manuals and I was like the only guy I know that still read the entire manual before playing the game. See, I I mean I used to work at working designs, which I mentioned, right, and we had, you know, fancy manuals and stuff like that. I also worked at MicroPros before that. And at MicroPros, you know, they were kind of famous. They'd give you, like, a little book with the game, you know, talking about the history that they've got covered in the game. You know, and I've got the book for colonization here, right? You know, this this thing is, uh, how many pages long is this thing? It's like, uh, it's like... two pages manual here talking about the history, you know, and, and, and partially about the gameplay. You know, it's and super by relatable. the way, I want to just give a very quick shout out to our mutual friend, Zach Meston, who made a lot of the writing and like the guidebooks and such for working designs. Amazing. Like he, yeah, he's, well, he he's a one of a kind talent. Yeah, I think he's still living up there in Reading. I think he works for Coldwell Banker now or something. Last, but, last uh, I knew. Yeah, that's where he was working. But uh, but yeah no he yeah I was I was at Working Designs when he worked there and uh, bef- and I knew I knew of him before that because I think he'd like worked on hint books for Sandwich Island Publishing's out in Hawaii before that and that's how they caught him it's like let's just get him to write it and you know they got him in there and he he was he was pretty good um, he gave Victor what uh, what he wanted you know when he asked me to kind of pick up the writing on Loon- on uh, Ray Earth and I actually tried to do a, a proper translation of it and and be a- accurate to the source material he's like no 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 never mind you know and he, <laughs> he got somebody else to do it right so uh, so yeah uh you know he was he was the right guy for that job yeah 
Like I, I was gonna say, like a, I think a re- a really relatable example of the lore and history in the manual would be like probably the most applicable one I can think of to a broad audience of people would be how in uh, one of the Legend of Zelda games, I think the first or the second one, or even in Link to the Past, like. The the backstory, like the plot of the game was explained in the manual, and so you were intended to read that, so when you start the game, you're already invested. Well, a lot of the games the of that era kind of had a little one or two paragraph or even a one or two page story like that, and I think you're talking about the very first Zelda game. It had like little anime style drawings. Like beautiful, yeah, beautiful cell shaded stuff. Like I thought it came out of an actual cartoon at first. Um uh, yeah, yeah, because a lot of the time the game itself did not have much of a story or wasn't able to tell a story. People were still right. figuring out how to do that. And uh, there's one infamous case where, of course, like the Metal Gear games came out and the stories on the box and manual were written by the uh, the American staff and just had nothing to fucking do with the game. You, you know, it's... Okay, I just I just thought of a very interesting case. Uh, hey, by the way, do you mind? Uh, my girlfriend's going to go to sleep. Do you mind if I call a ten minute warning? I have, I think like oh, what yes. what this has turned into is more interesting to, than what it started as, and I think we need to break do... this into two parts anyway. Like it has to be like the part where we actually were talking about <laughs> arcades, and then it's the podcast about like value and ownership yes well, <laughs> like I, software i, I yeah. think i think that's inspired me like especially when uh, when tim can make it like we need to do we need to switch this over to more of a round table discussion type of thing because this is this is the interesting part now to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually had more stuff to talk about arcades i didn't actually talk about the stuff like after i was an adult so you know but I, I kind of did i sidetracked myself yeah, yeah. and uh well, I mean, just like we can just like any decent time. train ride, it went off the rails. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> like that's how it's to be done. Well, well I thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yeah. And uh... <laughs> yeah. paradoxically, like I need to get better at organizing and leading a conversation, but at the same time, this was like a perfect digression. Like I, I think it made it ten yeah, times yeah, it more is. interesting. And and like I've said, I this is the process of me figuring out how to how to create this sort of content. So I'm not expecting it to be golden, but I think we accidentally went in a direction that was very good. So I'm loving this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, nine times out of ten, if you get me talking about, you know, game stuff, I'm going to inevitably come into this, you know, talk topic about value in games and, um, you know, how software has become valueless uh, over time, and that's why I'm not doing it anymore. Um, not because I'm greedy, but because I want to make things that are of value. Right. You know, you know what I think though, and I just had an interesting thought. Right, speaking of value, like if I were to take you know, the flash drive of games I have. I I feel like I would not be I would not be being unreasonable if I took that flash drive and said, Hey, would anyone like to buy this? It is priced at whatever I paid for these games. You know, so I'd add them all up and be like, Hey, you wanna buy these really cool games for i don't know 50 bucks right if it's because uh, because i'm a cheapskate and i buy everything on 75 percent discount 
<laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I feel like I could sell that to somebody and I don't think they should look at me crazy if they're like, but you're not giving me anything of value here, you know? Well, you know, I, when I bought my Wii U um, off of eBay, um, I, I could buy a regular Wii U system for like 200 bucks, or I could buy one of the hard drive with every game ever made for the Wii U on it for 300 bucks. <laughs> so. True, cracked. Like, and, and, then, and then there's the whole universe to explore of like uh, uh, IP ownership and like value, value of IPs and, and yeah. Like that. So I'm pretty sure that you know the Zelda game by itself, you know Breath of Wild, which was on the Wii U, which I got to play because I bought that drive with the th all the games on it. I'm pretty sure that was like 50 bucks by itself. So I, I, I have a feeling that you know the value of the software is somewhat diminished by me buying it on a hard drive. Um, well, you could simply pass it off as equal exchange. You could say like, "Hey, this is physical media. It has a value." And I paid that value. So if you would like it, you can pay that value. And then you could say, this is Breath of the Wild on a flash drive with an emulator. I paid much less. For it's of a different value, you know, a lesser value. And if you want that, you can pay for a thing of lesser value at what I paid for that. You know, you can get into like, you get what you pay for and collectors are always going to want the expensive version and the option of of buying one that you actually own you know that when you buy the game it will actually be something that you that you own yeah like and, in the current climate you'd have to do this under boards obviously like you can't you're not allowed to sell games but i think if if the paradigm of value and software and ownership owner ownership ownership shifts even a little bit it might not be a strange idea in a decade or two to be like, hey, I paid a hundred bucks for everything on this flash drive. Like that's a fair price, you know. Yeah. And I, just, I, I, just think, I think that falls apart when you realize that the a lot of the value in um, cartridges and such, as with anything these days, is speculative. And I don't think that that travels over to uh, read write media that is not you know, the Philly yeah. version of that. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with Vance there, right? You know, the, if you, the flash drive version, you know, maybe you'll be able to get some money for it, but that's not really the product having value. That's the service of putting the things on a flash drive having value, right? You're, you're, you're selling them a service of, oh, it'd be harder for me to power all these myself, so, but, but I, could, I could buy this flash drive from this guy. You know, but, the, but the software is still... Well, like, the trench the, there. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you do... That, yeah, you make a point where, like, in my example, I'm, you know, I was talking about, like, not pirating. Because, like, if you're talking about obtaining things illegally, like, you could, <laughs> like, you know, I bought, I bought my uh, Wii U from the guy in the van out in the Frankenson's parking lot. The, the Resident no Evil one... 4 vendor. <laughs> yeah, and no one knew where his freaking, <laughs> like, Wii U's came from. But we didn't ask questions because they were, like, 150 bucks. But, you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I'm envisioning, a, once you start pirating, 
anything can lose value once you do crimes, right? But in, in a world where we don't pirate, I could imagine just physical media being just a more valuable version of a commodity, right? It would still have a higher value, and you'd still have people that want that, just like anything else. Like, oh. you know, you, you get the $6 restaurant burger instead of the the the, 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 the McDonald's, like, fucking, I don't know, biscuit. Yeah. Oh, I mean, if you look online, you know, you look online, you see a Sega Genesis cartridge, and it comes with a box, it's worth more. Right, if you you know a PlayStation Two game, you know in its original case, whatever you know, it's gonna be gonna, gonna be worth more. You know, um, you know your your Neo Geo cartridge, you know, due to its rarity and and you know and the vastness of the size of the thing, um, is worth a lot more. Um, you know, so you know th uh, there's value in the physical object part, and it's value in being the official physical object part. Yes. Right, and, and like some of that, that won't ever go away. Like right, no and, matter what. And that's and that's the thing I'm pushing for. Right, it's like. Let's make it so that there is a thing that is the official valued physical object part that when you buy it, like you're not, you know, you haven't just lost your investment. You know, you it's like, yeah. you know, when you drive a piece of, of, you know, downloaded software off the lot, it loses all of its value, right? But when you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when you have, when you oh, buy a Nintendo cartridge on eBay, it might actually increase in value. You don't know, right? It, it'll, it'll still be worth something, you know? So, yeah. uh, that's 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 my point. It's like, what if we had a new platform where software had value, right? Where yeah, software was I, the thing, right? You know, and 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 that you and we had those styles of games and that kind of thing where you had to really put your thought into it because you weren't going to get to make a revision of it over the internet tomorrow. Yeah. You, know, you had to ship whatever you shipped is going to be there forever. You know, I I I guess I guess I think because I think that's a really good idea. I guess I just think there's room for both. Like, you yeah, well, you know, you obviously be. We already have the one where you can download it and you get the, you know, and have the thing and you can, maybe you can put it on your flash drive, maybe not. But, uh, you know, I'm just saying, I would like there to be the old way. True, true. Yeah, I think, I think that while the new way I enjoy and shouldn't go away, I think we should have beside it. I think we should also definitely have sort of that magic of the old way as well. Okay, okay. I think that would be a really cool project. I, I'm going to have to call time if I get to spend any time with my girlfriend tonight, but Killer. this uh, I, I want to I suggest this. We think about the shape of what that market would be and how it would even be possible, and next time we can get this particular group together, we compare notes and we discuss and we call each other names. <laughs> that sounds fun. Tim, you All up right. for that? Sure. Okay. Alex, just just grunt, just make a sound. <laughs> yeah, just just give us proof of life once every. Just breathe minutes. into the mic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, he's there. He's there. He's fine. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is going to be the only one on cam, just so we can check in on his wellness. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thank you for this. Actually, this was very educational for me, and uh, I enjoyed the shit out of this. Um, mm. I hope you did too. And I hope that uh, I get to see you guys in here again real damn soon. Yeah, that was quite fun. Definitely want to do it again. I'm always happy to rant and rave about my pet peeves. So, <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, uh, we might get together and do some of the news briefs. I don't know what form that's going to take, but I think that's going to technically be a separate podcast from now on. Um, 
And we will have some other stuff coming up, like uh, some streams and some other stuff. So we will have a we'll have a shifting lineup. Whoever wants to show up is going to show up, and uh, hopefully we'll be having some fun. Yeah. Anything else anybody wants to say before we go? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess uh, say no to drugs, kids. <laughs> Uh, no, Tim, you. Tim, come on, come on. You, you just missed a yeah. golden opportunity. We were talking about arcades, and you did not say, you did not say, I want to stress this, winners don't use drugs. Like and yeah. that, that is the screen that you'd always see in the 90s, right, right, after, right after you saw Game Over. Just you need all your that. senses to beat your video game foes, so don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. The arcade games always came with a... Uh, a that William F. Sessions. Yes, William F. Sessions, the head of the FBI. Winners don't use drugs. And like I said, it would come on right after the game over screen. Yep. And you were like, they know. <laughs> All right, end it, end it, end it. All right. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Tim, like, I'll... Uh... I'll just randomly message you like game recommendations on Discord. Okay. 